are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, I'm going to bring a message tonight that I have brought across the country some. A few of you have heard me bring this message in various places. But I feel like it's the thing I ought to do, for I feel tonight that I'm going to speak on what is the most important word in the entire Christian vocabulary. I've often said across the country, if I had all the Christians in the world in one place and could speak to every Christian in the entire world, this is the message that I would bring. And I feel, though perhaps a few of you have heard this message, I feel that the great mass of you have not and we ought to have this truth presented again and again and again across this country. May I say to those of you who are members of First Baptist, we feel quite at home here, don't we? We, while we were building our new building, we we met here for five months, both morning and evening. This was our church. And to be quite frank, I feel very much at home here. We baptized down in the swimming pool beneath in the world's largest baptistry. And uh, we... We've, we were here for those, those months. Now, I want you to take no pictures, please, from here on in, because I want to talk to you about what I think is the most important word in the Christian vocabulary, apart from proper nouns. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In Exodus 21.10, it speaks about her duty of marriage. In Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5, it mentions performing the duty of a husband's brother. In 2 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 14, we have these words, the duty of every day. In Ezra chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, they offered daily burnt offerings by number according to their custom as the duty of every day required. I'm going to speak tonight on that one word, duty. Fanny Crosby wrote, Rescue the perishing, the duty demands it. Strength for thy labor, the Lord will provide. I'm going to ask now that no one move around. I'm going to ask every child be very quiet and very still. I'm going to ask that no one leave the service. I'm going to ask that no one move for these moments. I believe that lives could literally by the hundreds and thousands be transformed in this room tonight. And well, they ought to be as I speak on this amazing word, the secret to the Christian life, the word duty. If I were to sum good Christianity up in one word, this is the word. Our Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would speak to our hearts in these moments. You know I have a perfectly (coughs) prepared (coughs) new outline of a new sermon on my desk right now that I plan to preach tonight. But you also know that I feel that I cannot leave these preachers and these Christian workers for an entire service and neglect them. And so tonight I pray that you'd help each of us to realize the obligation we have, the duty we have of serving our Lord God. Give us a new dimension, a new dedication to the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor. He said, as he sat across from me in my study, I've lost my burden for soul winning. Pastor, something's happened to me in recent 
days, I no longer want to go soul winning. I can recall, Pastor, when I first got saved, how I could not wait for the church visitation night. How I enjoyed passing out tracts on the street corner. And what a joy it was to tell somebody the story of Jesus. But Pastor, I don't know what's wrong with me, but something's happened to me. I've lost my burden for soul winning. I don't like to pass out tracts anymore. I don't like to go soul winning anymore. I don't like to go and knock on doors anymore. I do not like to go to church visitation night anymore. Pastor, something's happened. I don't know what it is. I wish it hadn't happened, but something has happened to me. Pastor, said another, as he sat across from me in my study, I don't enjoy the Bible anymore. It was not always so. I can recall in the early days of my Christian life, I could not wait to get alone with this book. I could not wait to read the Bible. I'd put aside the magazine for the Word of God. I'd put aside the radio and the television and the, and the stereo and the newspaper for the Word of God. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. But pastor, something's happened. I don't like the Bible anymore. I'll be honest. I'd rather read the newspaper. I prefer the magazine. I prefer the television. I prefer the radio. I prefer the stereo. Pastor, this book used to be alive to me. But all of a sudden, I don't enjoy the Bible anymore. I'm worried about myself, Pastor. I do not want it thusly. I want to enjoy the Bible like I used to enjoy it. But something's happened to me. I just don't enjoy the Bible anymore. Pastor said another in my study. I do not enjoy coming to church. I just don't want to come to church anymore. Pastor, I recall when I first got saved, and for months and months after, I could not wait for Sunday morning, my favorite morning of the week. I came to church, and I could not wait to hear the choir sing the opening song. And how I enjoyed those old gospel songs, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying, Snap them in Pity from Sin and the Grave. Does Jesus care? How firm a foundation, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. At Calvary, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. In the sweet by and by, Pastor, those songs thrill my soul. I could not wait till I heard the choir sing it special. And someone stand up and sing a special number, a solo, a duet, a trio, a quartet, or an ensemble. But Pastor, I, I, I used to enjoy your preaching. Nothing thrill me anymore than to sit out there and hear you preach the Word of God. But Pastor, something's happened to me. I don't like preaching anymore. I don't enjoy coming to church anymore. To be quite frank with you, I prefer to stay in bed on Sunday morning. I just don't like to come to church anymore. Pastor, said another, my prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. I used to enjoy praying. I could not wait to get along with God's sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul is often found relief and oft escape the tempter's snare. By thy return, sweet hour of prayer, the pastor is not so anymore. I don't enjoy it prayer time anymore. I used to feel like when I prayed that I was having an audience with the King of Kings. What a thrill, what an honor, what a delight. But preacher, something's happened to me. I do not enjoy anymore my prayer time. Pastor, 
said another in my study. I'd like to resign my Sunday school class. I do not enjoy teaching my class anymore. There was the day when I was asked to take my class, when I stood before my little group of boys, and I'd say, I'd say, I'd say I, I, what a thrill. I am sharing the Word of God as a co-laborer with Jesus Christ and teaching the, the eternal Word of God to the never-dying souls of the boys. But, Pastor, something's happened. I just don't enjoy teaching my class anymore. I dread Sunday morning. Pastor, I'd like to resign my Sunday school class. I just don't enjoy it. I wish it weren't that way. I wish I felt like I used to feel. I want to feel that way. But something's gone. Something's missing. I don't enjoy it anymore. Pastor, said another, I'd like to resign my bus route. I'll never forget when you gave me that bus route. When I went out soul winning that first Saturday and knocked on doors and folks promised to come and fill up my bus. What an excitement it was. And that Sunday morning when I, for the first time, went out and gathered, got my bus and gathered my crowd and took them down to the house of God. And Pastor, I'll never forget how they sat there and they heard you preach and then the invitation time came. Down the aisle they came, such as many of you will do tonight. Down the aisle they came, professing faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. Oh, Pastor, what a thrill. What excitement. What joy. What a tremendous fulfillment I, I felt. But I don't have it anymore. I've lost it. I don't enjoy my bus route. Pastor, I'd like to resign my bus route. I just don't enjoy my bus route anymore. Wait a minute. Hold it a minute. Listen, hold it. We're just about to separate the men from the boys. For when you come to the time in your life where you no longer enjoy going soul winning, but you transfer your, your motivation for soul winning from inspiration to obligation, and you don't do it because you tingle, you don't do it because you like it, you don't do it because you're excited, you don't do it because it's enjoyable, but you say, I'll do it from now on because it is my duty. You're just about to become a good Christian. You're just about to understand what the Christian life is all about. You come to that place in your life, and you will, when this Bible is no longer exciting. John 3.16 of the old hat. Revelation 21.1-2 will be commonplace. John 14.1-3 will be uh, old to you. You will no longer thrill. But you come to the place to where you say, I don't enjoy this Bible. I don't tingle when I read this Bible. I'm not excited about going to this Bible. But I will read this Bible because it is my duty. Now you're about to become a good Christian. Anybody can do it when it's fun. There's no real rewards or merit to serving God when you tingle in your spine. It's when you get to that place where you don't tingle. And where you don't want to do it. But you've got enough character and decency to say, I'm a child of God, and I'll obey it. He says, read it, I'll read it. And you come to that time in your life where you no longer enjoy your prayer life. You no longer tingle when you pray and feel the presence of God when you pray. But you say, I'll pray anyway. Not because I tingle, not because I thrill, but because it is my duty to pray. You know, fundamentalism needs to grow up. We've, we've uh, gone long enough on the low-octane gas of enthusiasm. I believe in amen. But you're supposed to read your Bible when the amens are gone. And I believe in glory to God. But you're supposed to go soul winning when the glory to God's gone. 
I believe in, 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 in hallelujahs, but you're supposed to pray when the hallelujah's gone. You have no right to quit praying because it's not fun. You have no right to quit reading your Bible because it's not fun. You have no right to stop soul winning because it's no longer fun. When you come to place in your life to where you say, I no longer enjoy my Sunday school class. I wish I didn't teach my Sunday school class. I don't tingle while I teach my Sunday school class. But it's my Sunday school class and God has given me that class and I'm going to teach it when it's cold and teach it when it's hot and teach it when I'm up and teach it when I'm down and teach it when I tingle and teach it when I don't tingle and teach it when I want to and teach it when I don't want to. But I'm going to do it because it is my duty. You're about to understand what the Christian life is all about. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Duty. 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 A good church becomes a great church. When it transfers its reason for serving God from inspiration and excitement to duty. We've all started churches. I've started numbers of churches. Most of us remember those days when you're running 35 or 40 in Sunday school. The pastor stands up someday and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, or lady and gentlemen, and kids, six weeks from today, we are going to have 175 in our Sunday school. And the old deacon back in the back said, never do it, never do it, never do it, never do it, never do it. You said we will. Well, six weeks today, we're going to go from 35 to 175. And the old deacon said, don't like big churches. Don't believe in big churches. Just don't like big churches. Want it little, just like the church was in the early days. Yeah, I only had about 8,000 members in the early days, after a week or two. And, uh, I, uh, and so you said, we will. And you got those folks together and you chanted, we will not fail. We will not fail. We will not fail. Boy, they got excited and contacted their neighbors and their loved ones and their friends. And they went soul winning and visiting. And finally came that big day. Sunday school is now over. The pastor stands before the people and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm ready to announce our Sunday school attendance. And you said, Go ahead. And he said, We had this morning 100 and... And you said, Come on, buddy, pull it out. 100 and what? And he said, 170? And you said, Good night, I'm going to die of a nervous heart trouble. What is it? He said, 178! And you said, Woo! Hallelujah! Glory to God! woo Praise the Lord! Amen! Glory to God! We did it! But now, those years have come and gone. And you've had all the big days now. You signed a banana as one of the bunch. And you signed a white sheep instead of being a black sheep. And you've had old-fashioned day and kicked your mother-in-law day and beat the devil day and slopped the pig day and, and everything else and sweet day. And uh, you've had it all. Now then, pastor stands up and says, we ha we're running 500. We're going to have 800 in Sunday school. And you say, that sure is good. That's wonderful. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what you do right then determines how good a Christian you are. If you say, I've seen it all, but I'll still do it. I no longer tingle about a big day, but I'll still work. I don't get excited like I used to get excited, but I'll do it. My duty. And you're about to understand what the Christian life is all about. First Baptist Church of Hammond last fall averaged over 3,000 in Sunday school more than we did the, Sunday, the, the year before. I said over oh, 3,000 average increase that year. I recall telling our folks that the last night. I said, folks, we averaged over 3,000 more than last year. 
in our Sunday school. And most of our people went, yeah, it's sure it's good. I'm sure glad about that. You said that, wait a minute. Is that the great First Baptist Church of Hammond? Yeah, that's the great First Baptist Church of Hammond. You mean most of your people didn't get excited because you grew by 3,000 in one year? That's exactly right. They're here right now. We got some here. Didn't, blood pressure didn't go up a bit. Might have gone down a little bit because we had 3,000 over because they didn't have enough room to sit. <clears throat> Usually people are like that, fill up more room than most people do on the pew anyway. And uh, you said, uh, you said, well, do your people go soul winning? Over 2,000 people go soul winning every week from First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. What you say for the Hiles, if they don't get excited like they used to, why do they go? They go because they're supposed to go. That's why they go. It's their duty. God pity you Christians that lose your class when you lose your tingle. And quit your witnessing when you lose your tingle. And then get out of your Bible when you lose your tingle. We need a generation of Christians who will say, for the grace of God, if God says in this book I'm supposed to do it, I'll do it. Like it or not, excited or not, tingle or not, thrill or not, enjoy it or not, I'll do it. It's my duty. Whoever said you're supposed to do that, which is fun anyhow. It's your duty to do right. It's your duty to go soul winning. It's your duty to read the Bible. It's your duty to pray. It's your duty to teach that class. It's your duty to build that bus route. It is your duty. I'm going to shock you. Hold on to your seat. If you have heart trouble, take a nitro tablet and put it under your tongue. I'm just about to shock you. Are you ready? Are you listening? I, Dr. Jack Hyatt, pastor of the largest Sunday school and perhaps in some ways church in the world, author of three books on soul winning, of an Oscar winning record on soul winning, and tapes on soul winning. I, Dr. Jack Hiles, whose church is averaged over 7,000 baptisms a year, I guess, for the last four, four, five, or six years. I, Dr. Jack Hiles, who have seen 100, hear me now, 190,000 people walk the aisles of that church on the corner for salvation in the last 20 years. Over 60,000 of those have been baptized. I, Dr. Jack Hiles, here it is, never do want to go soul winning. You say, good night. Did I spend all this money to come here to a backslider and have him run a school? God doesn't even want to go soul winning. Yep, that's exactly what. I never do want to go soul winning. And I'll go a step further. Neither does Lee Robertson. I'll confess his sin. And neither does Rudy Atwood. And neither do you good-looking guys in your bell, your bellman jackets tonight. You marvelous trio in your den. You don't want to either. And you don't either. And you don't either. And you don't either. And you don't either. I know it. Man, that's a shock to me. You're the last guy I thought wouldn't want to go so away. Whoever you are. You say, now, wait a minute, Brother Hiles. You never do want to go soul winning? That's right. And neither does Bob Jones. And neither does John Rice. And neither does any other human being on the face of this earth. 
Well, you stay for the hunt. Do you go soul winning? I go soul winning every week of my life. Well, you say if you don't like to go, why do you go? I go because I'm supposed to go. That's why I go. And so are you. You have no right to exempt yourself obeying God because you don't tingle anymore. You have no right to lay out the Word of God because it's not exciting. It is your duty. My mama said to me, when I was three years old, and four and five and six, son, eat your okra. And I looked down and saw the most discouraging sight I've ever seen in my life. Bunch of greasy worms swimming around in castor oil juice. Most little white balls escaping out the side. And I said, Mama, you can't eat that okra. All you can do is just suck it down. Mama said, Son, eat your <coughs> okra. And I said, Mama, Son, eat your okra. When I was three years old, I ate okra because Mama said he did. When I was five and six, I ate okra because Mama said he did. When I was seven and eight, I ate okra because Mama said he did. When I was nine and ten, I ate okra because Mama said he did. When I was eleven and twelve, I ate okra because Mama said he did. When I got thirteen years of age, the most amazing miracle took place you ever saw in your life. I learned to like that greasy, dumb-looking stuff. I like it. And now I'm 52 years of age. I had rather have a good old pan of fried okra or boiled okra than any other dish in the whole world. And if you hadn't, you're not saved. <laughs> you won't believe this. You won't believe it. But scouts honor, cross my heart, and hope to die. This is the truth. If you put right here tonight on this side, a slimy, gooey, greasy, ball-extracting bowl of okra, boiled okra. And on this side, you put a inch-and-a-half New York sirloin strip, mushrooms and sauce, French fried onion rings gracing the top, and an apple slice on the side. You said there's the okra, and there's the New York sirloin strip. You won't believe this, but it's true. I'd eat them both. <laughs> My mama didn't raise no dumb kids, I'll guarantee you. Both. But if you said you can't eat them both, you eat the okra or the sirloin steak, I, <laughs> I'd eat the okra. I know it's a sin, but I'd do it. I'd eat the okra. You see, after you do what you ought to do for a while, then God will let you enjoy it. God looks down when a person first gets saved, and the person says, Boy, I like this book. Man, I can't wait to get in this book. Boy, I love to pray. Man, I like to pass out tracts. Boy, I like to go soul winning. Man, I like to serve God. Boy, I like that bus route. Man, I like that soul winning. And then one day comes the old tingle, tinger breaks, and it becomes drudgery. And you say, I don't much enjoy it anymore, but I'm going to read it because I'm supposed to. I don't like to go so well anymore, but I'm going to go because I'm supposed to. 
And I don't enjoy praying anymore, but the Bible says you're supposed to, so I'm going to do it. And so you do it because it is your duty. And then God looks down and says, Holy Spirit, let him, let him just hang by himself a while. Let's see how much he loves me. Let's see if he loves me enough to do what, he wants, what, what, what I want him to do. He doesn't want to do it. And you keep on, 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 and you keep on. And one day the Holy Spirit, the Lord says, Holy Spirit, put his finger back in him now. And man, you never had such a tingle in your life as that second tingle. You talk about the second blessing, but you get that second tingle. That's the one. That's the one. You see, you see on this bumper sticker, it says, if it feels good, do it. Boy, you don't like that. You say, oh, that's terrible. Because you associate that with the numerality, permissive society, liquor, <coughs> dope, free sex, and so forth. Boy, you get mad. But the honest truth is, if you were honest, you could put that bumper sticker on your back and wear it. For that's the way you serve God. You go soul winning when it feels good. You read the Bible when it feels good. You pray when it feels good. You build a bus route when it feels good. Well, bless your little old heart. When it gets to feeling bad, you keep on doing it. I don't know for sure if I've done anything yet today that felt good. I don't know if I've enjoyed anything I did yet today. Because the whole day was ruined for the first thing I did this morning. I got up. <laughs> that ruined the whole day. Somebody said one time, I wish I was like Dr. Jack. I'll just bounce out of bed in the morning. I don't bounce out of bed. I get resurrected every morning. When the old alarm hit about 540 to 545 this morning, out I came. You say, why? It's my duty. You said, well, the house, do you like it? No, sir, I don't like it. When I'm on the road, I carry three alarms, three alarm clocks, and then call the desk and ask them to wake me up. You say, why do you get my duty? Next thing I do, did this morning, went downstairs in the basement, got on that exercise, and took my 20-minute trip to nowhere. <laughs> up and down, up and down, and back and back, and up and down, and back and back, and up and down, and up and down, and back and back, and up and down, and back and back. And I got that big old bullwinkle bar, and I pushed it like that, and I pushed it like that. And I pushed it like that. I pushed it. That's one reason why you're looking at such an amazing physical specimen. Look at me. Eat your hearts out, girls. You sit with the house. I just don't like that kind of stuff. Me neither. I hate it. If I had my way, that bull, bull, bullwinkle thing would be used by bass fish in Lake Michigan. And I'd send that electric horse downstairs out to pasture. Next thing I did this morning was weigh. Oh, my soul. I always feel like a sinner standing at the great white throne judgment.
I've tried everything. I've tried hanging on to both sides of the wall. I've tried hanging my feet, my heels over the back of the thing. I've tried putting the arrow four pounds behind zero. I've been right where you were this morning. I was right there beside you a little better than you were, but I was there. You say, why do you weigh? Because I'm supposed to weigh 178. Now, this morning I weighed 179, so I didn't eat much today. Man alive, when I step on that thing, it says 177. Woo! I head for the banana split parlor, buddy. Right away. Live it up! Next thing I do is bathe. I don't like to bathe. I'm busy man. I don't like to do anything. You can't do two things at one time. You can't preach while you bathe. You can't read while you bathe. You can't teach while you bathe. All you can do is bathe while you bathe. Well, you say, why do you bathe? It's my duty to bathe. Some of you guys have fulfilled your duties tonight. Today. I wouldn't give you a dime for this kind of a irresponsible, undisciplined Christian life. The Lord does it when it's fun. I've preached across this country over 23,000 sermons through these years. Most of you have heard me preaching somewhere in every nook and cranny of this nation. Hardly anybody in this room that hasn't heard me preach somewhere from Maine to Southern California, from Washington State to Florida, from Minnesota to Texas, most, most of you heard me somewhere. And I've gone to pulpits across this country when I didn't want to go. I've gone when I didn't feel like going. And I've gone when I was too tired to go. And I've gone when I thought if I could just have one night to rest and get me eight hours sleep, I believe I could feel better and get back on my feet again. Bless God, I go. You say, why? Because it's my duty to go. Duty. Duty. Somebody said, I slept and dreamed that life was duty. I woke and found that life was duty. Somebody said, duty is the cement which binds the whole moral edifice together. Listen to every word of this. Heinzelman said, be and continue poor, young man, while others around thee grow rich by fraud and disloyalty. Be without place and power while others beg their way upward. Bear the pain of disappointed hopes while others gain the accomplishment of theirs by flattery. Wrap yourself in your own virtue and seek a friend and your daily bread. If you have in your own cause grown gray with unbleached honor, you can bless God and die. It's time for fundamentalism to add to the word hallelujah, the word integrity. It's time for us to add to the word amen, the word decency. It's time for us to add to the word, for a phrase, glory to God, the word character. It's time for us to add to hallelujah, the word duty. Listen. The average person in this room, listen to me, the average preacher in this room would go home and build a church if he did not take one other course in this school this week. Very idea of a kid getting to school before a preacher gets to his office in the morning. You lazy, sorry, good-for-nothing, indifferent, half-in, half-on, Half off, half on, half hot, half cold, pussyfoot, near tickling, back scratching, penny pinching, nickel nipping, soft soaping, pink lily. Why don't you get up? Why don't you do something big for God? Why don't you stop and realize?
The devil's trying to destroy this country. We don't have time to play and little the lazy. This, if you would do what I'm preaching now, your whole life would be changed. If in this conference, if all you get is inspiration to go soul winning, you will not, it will not last till you get to the first doorstep. But if you could get enough character to do your duty, this one service tonight could change your entire life. Duty. I wouldn't send out the brochures. I wouldn't have our staff work as hard as they work. I would not lose all the money we lose. Last year we lost $20,000 on pastor school. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't work my staff day and night, and I wouldn't go to all the trouble that I go to. Not for one second would I do it to inspire you to go soul winning. But I do this every year. If I could lead you to change your life by realizing that it's not inspiration that is the fuel that runs the vehicle of success, it is obligation that runs that vehicle. Duty. 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 Greatness consists not in one seeking his own pleasure, or fame, or advancement, or glory, but in seeking one's own duty. Edmund Burke said, never despair, but if you do, work on in despair. Listen, brother, you're, the difference between you and somebody doing something for God is not their talent. It's your lack of discipline and your honoriness and your laziness. If I could reach out there and grab you and shake you, got in the heart, say in God's dear name, get to work, do something, get up, live a schedule, a self-disciplined life. Some of you folks can be conquered by a piece of chocolate pie. I'd be ashamed. In this corner, a man of God, called of God, great prophet of God. In this corner, an inch of meringue. Bong, it's a knockout in the first round. You wonder why you fail. Oh, you folks, everybody that's ever heard me preach knows I have trouble down in here. I have to do that a lot. It embarrasses me a great deal. Last prayer I prayed before I walked any pulpit across America. Lord, Lord, don't let me embarrass myself too much because of this problem here. Twenty years ago, I started having it. Word me sick. I was afraid to go to the doctor. I didn't want to find out I had cancer of the throat, or nodes, or growth on the vocal cords, or voice box. For 18 years I preached, thinking that every sermon was my last one. I mean, I walked out of the pulpit every Sunday night and said that may be the last time. Because I'd get, it, it gets so full in here, and so raspy. And I have to clear my throat so much. And one night, two years ago, last this month, last month I think, one of our doctors in our church was walking down the hall, the alley after before the service. 
And he said, Pastor, I think you're bad sick. He was trying to scare me to get, get examined. He'd been begging me to get myself examined. And I said, he said, I think you're bad sick. Now, I wasn't bad sick then. By the time I got to the pulpit, I was bad sick. I literally leaned up against the pulpit that night. In a few days, I checked into Billings Hospital over here. Dr. Dennis Streeter, one of our fine deacons and bus captains, is a surgeon. He was working there at Billings Hospital. They checked me in there one morning. Doc walked up and said, put this on. It was a miniskirt. It was blue. came about that far above my knees. I said, Doc, I can't wear that. He said, Preacher, you've got to. I said, Doc, look, I've preached against those things for years. <laughs> Though I must confess, with knees like mine, I doubt if they're sinful. <laughs> he said, now, I put it on. By the way, it tied in the back. It didn't meet in the back, but it tied in the back. And all around here was me, and right down there, I mean, all around here was down, right down there was me. And then the doctor, a doctor said to me, what did he asked me to do? He said, sit down there in the hall. I said, Doc, this is Billings Hospital. One of the biggest hospitals in the world. And you want me to, I said, Doc, folks know me. Give me a private, put me in a room somewhere. He said, preacher, we don't have any room. I'm a doc, I can't. What I can do. You won't believe it? You won't believe it? You won't believe it. The first, this seven million people live in this area. The first person that walked down that hallway was a deacon at First Baptist Church of Hampton. He looked at me and he said, Oh, Pastor, how darling, how darling. I said, Just shut up and keep on going. I took a lot of tests. They checked my head, found nothing there. <laughs> checked my heart, thought it was cold. <laughs> Gave me electrocardiogram, stomach x-rays, chest x-rays, all kinds of tests. And then came the day that I dreaded most of all, when they checked to see what was wrong down here. Dr. Streeter got a big old long thing, about that long, sort of a tube rubber thing, I guess. It was about the size of a battery cable. And he stuck that thing about 40 inches down inside of me. The nurse said, Reverend, we'll have to put you to sleep. And I said, look, can't you deaden the throat? She said, okay. And I said, Doc, I want to know what's wrong. Tell me the truth. Don't tell my family now. I'm bad sick. You tell me the truth. And Dr. Streeter, fine gentleman, he said, Pastor, I'll tell you the truth. On the end of that long 42-inch thing was a camera. And they stuck that camera down inside me. And Doc had a little television screen over here and saw my gizzard on television. <laughs> and I was nervous as could be. 
And he stuck that thing down in there. I said, now, Don, are you down there yet? He said, no, Pastor. You got to tell me the truth? Yes, Pastor. You down there yet? No, Pastor. Doctor, you got to tell the truth? Yes, Pastor. Yeah, Pastor, you can't talk while I do this now. <laughs> a bit. And uh, I, I said, so finally he got down. He said, Pastor, he said, I'm down to your horse box now. Right there, it seemed like my whole ministry passed in front of me. Every preacher in this room, every singer knows how I felt. Well, I've heard too many preachers who've heard the words, you'll never preach again. And I said, Doctor, what do you see? And he said, it's clear. There's nothing there. Nothing wrong with your voice box. And nothing. No, 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 University of Chicago campus is right there. We're a bunch of you. Ever, you ever, you've been to all the zoos in the area? Go down to the University of Chicago campus sometime. Same thing. And <clears throat> I went on the campus. It was it was a day about as cold as it is tonight and raining. And I took off my shoes and I ran up down that campus and I screamed, I can freeze! I can freeze! One old long-haired animal came up and said, I bet you could, I bet you could. <laughs> Dr. Peter took me in a room. Funny thing, he found a room after I was over. That's the same room I wanted back there and I had that miniskirt on. And he said, Pastor, he said, I'll tell you what the trouble is. You don't have a hiatus. A hiatus is that little valve when you swallow, it opens. And it closes after you swallow and the food stays down. And that's food just comes up. That's, that's the same. Last Wednesday's breakfast, right out there. Right now. But the doctor talked to me a while. And he said, Pastor, you'll always be able to preach. He said, there's 5% chance you may have to have serious surgery someday, but 95% chance you can preach like this. But he said, Pastor, to cut down your preaching would be so bad. Fellow just preached three times a week, maybe. You wouldn't have to worry about clearing your throat. So I said, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to have a reputation all my life of being a throat clearing preacher. But I said, Doc, I can't do that. He said, Why? And I said, Because God has given me the ear of thousands of preachers across this nation, and my country's going to hell, and somebody's got to grab these preachers and say, Do you know me? I used to go up and down the country chugging like an old train, spitting like an old Model T Ford, hitting on two cylinders. But it's my duty. It's my duty. And it's your duty. It's your duty to keep on going. It's, I, listen, ladies and gentlemen, there's nobody but us to save this country. Dwight L. Moody's dead. He can't save it. Billy Sunday's dead. He can't save it. Bob Jones is gone. He can't save it. Sam Jones is gone. He can't save it. Some of us have got to say, I won't pray as much as I please. 
I won't loaf as much as I've loafed. I won't sleep as much as I've slept. I won't rest like I've rested. I'll do my duty. I'll do my duty. One word separates the A student at Hiles Anderson College from the one that flunks. And that word is not brains. That word is duty. One word separates that young man who walks down the aisle to, uh, and takes his place at the altar to get married. One word separates that young man that gives his bride a second-hand groom who's necked and petted and fondled and, and made love to every old gal in the neighborhood. One word separates him from that young man who says, I'm going to walk down that aisle and be clean. I'm going to give my bride an arm that is pure and clean and safe for her. One word. That word is duty. Oh, but you say for the house, I'm just over sex. I got one word for you. <laughs> what do you mean? Duty. Young men. Single young men, it is your duty to extend the virgin arm to your bride. One word separates that young woman, young lady, who comes down the aisle clean and pure, chaste and virgin, from that young lady who comes down the aisle who should wear a spotted wedding gown, or if she were honest, would wear a gray wedding gown, and that word is duty. One word separates that pastor who builds a great work from that who flounders in failure, and that word is duty. One word separates that Hiles Anderson College student who gets expelled from school from that one that stays in school and graduates all time, and that word is duty. One word separates that loyal assistant pastor from that dirty rebel turncoat that splits the church and builds his own work, and that word is duty. One word separates that fellow who gets fired because he loafs from that, that fellow who puts eight hours work for eight hours pay, and that word is duty. One word separates the obedient, loyal lady and wife from the ERA Jezebel, and that word is duty. I say to our Howells Anderson College preachers, Today is going to come, young men, when you won't have Dr. Hiles screaming at you three or four times a week. And you won't have Dr. Evans trying to inspire you to keep on going at the chapel. And you won't be able to go down at 11 o'clock every day to a chapel service. But you're going to be out yonder on the field. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It's your soul winning day. But it's 107 degrees. And you've got ten prospect cards. Five are Buddhist and five are Mohammedans. What you do at that moment will do more to determine what kind of church you build and success you have and all the sermons you'll preach put together. Duty. 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 That's what builds great churches. That's what builds great businesses. That's what builds great children. That's what builds great homes. That's what builds great bus routes. That's what builds great Sunday school classes. Duty. 
George Washington's motto was the word duty. Wellington, who conquered Napoleon at Waterloo, said, and I quote, There is little in life worth living for but to go straight forward and do our duty. In one tough battle, he said to his men, Stand steady, lads. Think of what they will think of us in England. Whereon they replied, Never fear, sir. We know our duty. Admiral Nelson's watchwords were these. England expects every man to do his duty. His last words on his deathbed were these. I have done my duty. Thank God for it. At the mighty battle of Trafalgar, Admiral Nelson lined his men and marched his men all under a great banner over the road through which they were marching to battle. And as those men marched to battle in that great battle of Trafalgar, Admiral Nelson had written on the banner so every man could read these words. Not glory, or victory, or honor, or country, but duty. Duty goes so when it's too cold. Duty builds a bus route and you don't enjoy it. Duty keeps that Sunday school class for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Duty stays where inspiration leaves. So much of this garbage. I just feel like my work here is over. Could be translated, it no longer is fun not fun anymore. Well, whoever called you to fun? When I stood 1,200 feet in the air as a United States paratrooper, the sergeant stood behind me. I stood in the door of the plane, nothing but a bunch of silk packed up on my back. And the sergeant said, Is everybody happy? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the stupidity of the question was only exceeded by the stupidity of the answer. Yes! He said, Relax! Go! And I said, Sergeant, I feel like my work here is finished. I feel like God's going to open up some other field of service. I'd signed up to be a paratrooper. It's my duty. And you signed up to be a preacher. You lazy, sorry rascal. I can hear our old professor in seminary now saying, Young men, anybody want a big church? Boy, we all raised our hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is it? He said, Make the one you got there. I can hear him now saying, Young men, the resurrection preachers. I said, Doc, what is a resurrection preacher? He said, go out and find these old, cold, dead churches and resurrect them. I was down in Durham, North Carolina. I preached one, one day on the sermon, What is man that art mindful of him? I finished preaching an old preacher stood up, 88 years of age, skinny as a rail. His arms were pipes wrapped in skin. I don't know. Bright Hawaiian kind of a shirt. His little arms sticking out like broomsticks underneath those sleeves. He didn't have my bullwinkle far. He said, I'm tired. I'd like to say a few words. I've been preaching over 50 years. 
I've been looking forward to retiring. I've been preaching so long, no voices about gone. But I've just been looking forward to retiring. Want to fish and rest a while, I'm 88 years old. A few weeks ago I retired, been fishing, having a good time, I thought. But he said this morning while you were preaching, the fire of God got to burn into my soul. He raised his little broomstick arms up like Charles Atlas. And he said, brethren, I retired a few weeks ago. But he said, today I'm realisting. That's what some of you lazy rascals ought to do. Re-enlist. Not your deacon board at you. Not the trouble at you. Not the field at you. Do your duty. Duty. Of preaching. If there is a speck of greatness about this little guy tonight, if there is any ability in this little preacher to even begin to measure or to, to, to diagram or to try to figure what caused the success. I'd have to say, I've tried through these years to do what I was supposed to do. I'm not as brilliant as John Rice, nor as eloquent as R.G. Lee. Nor as much a philosopher as Bob Jones Sr. But bless God, I discovered one day that my day has as many hours as John Rice's does. And my hour has as many minutes as John Rice's does. And so does yours. And the great difference in you and those great giants of the faith is not their talent nor their brain. It's the fact they got up and they stayed up and they worked while they're up and you're busy playing golf on Monday and bowling on Tuesday and picnicking on Wednesday and chasing that little white ball across the cow pasture, putting it in a tin cup. But please take the baby out, little lady. Would you mind, please? Quickly. That's right. Just take the baby out. I'm trying to close the service now. Why don't you folks help them there? Would you, ushers? Help them there. Hurry now. That's right. Hurry, ushers. That's it. Thank you very much. I, I don't mean to be unkind, but I'll... There's too much at stake right now for, for anybody to be detracted. Now listen. Some of you guys spend too much time chasing that little white ball. I'm not saying playing golf every Monday is sinful. I'm just saying it's dumb. I feel sorry for you preachers. Have to, have to play golf on Monday to get over the nervousness of having preached on God's peace on Sunday. you play golf like I do, you'd have to preach on Tuesday to get over the nervousness of the golf game on Monday. Why don't you say while you're here, why don't you say while you're here, I'm going home to do something big for God. I don't believe in big churches. Well, other centers have gotten right. You're not the first dumb idiot ever lived. No, it's not big churches you don't believe in, Buster. It's big work you don't believe in. It's sweat and toil and labor and sacrifice and duty. Listen carefully. I pastored for almost seven years in Garland, Texas. Miller Road Baptist Church, the man... Last night, who was on the platform with David Gibbs, 
is now pastor of Miller Road Baptist Church in Garland. You see, listen carefully. You know why that baby cried? That's a sweet baby. But you know why that baby cried? Because there's somebody that doesn't want you to hear what I'm saying. The lady that just got six, one of the finest ladies in our church. One of the very finest ladies. But there's somebody that doesn't want you to hear what I'm saying. Now you're going to answer to God for it, and you better listen. As pastor of the Miller Road Baptist Church. Our church is right across the street from a shopping center. We use the parking lot of that shopping center for our parking. Every Sunday morning, I went out on the front steps of the church and shook hands with everybody. Some of you folks used to come down those, up those steps. Some of my converts there at Miller Road are here now. And I'd shake hands with everybody who came in across that parking lot. One day, one of the finest looking couples you'd ever want to see came across that street, that parking lot, shopping center lot. I'm not going to call him by name. I'm just going to call him Bob Tate. That was not his name, and you'll know why in a few minutes. I'm not using his name. I walked out and I said, my name is Jack Hiles. Are you folks new here? He said, yes. My name is Bob Tate. This is my wife, Mrs. Tate. He was a handsome fellow. To make it short, he wore, he was a dapper dresser. Clothes fit just perfectly. Tall, good-looking, well-built fellow. And she was as cute as he was good-looking. She was about four foot ten, cute as a bug. I've never seen a cute bug, but that's a statement we use. And that cute as could be. I said, Mr. Tate, are you new in town? Yes, he said. Where do you work? He said, I work at a telephone company. I've been transferred to the office, to this office here, telephone company. Wife and I drive by your church every morning on the way to work. We thought we'd come by to visit you. Man, I'm glad to see you. Now, those, they, they were such a nice-looking couple. If they walked in right there right now, walked right across that aisle, everybody in this house would look at them and say, Man, what a nice-looking couple they are. Just cute as could be. That morning, Bob Tate and Mrs. Tate sat over here and walked down that aisle and got saved. That night, they got baptized, and they became model Christians. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Monday night for soul winning, they were there in their places, model people. He taught, I think, a junior boys class, and I think she taught a primary girls class. Always there, never miss, tithe, everything the preacher said do, they did, everything the preacher said don't do, they didn't do, model people. One Sunday I looked back to where they usually sat and I couldn't see them. One Wednesday night, rather. I asked my assistant pastor, I said, Brother Jim, do you see Bob Tate and Mrs. Tate? No. I don't think they're here, preacher. I can understand it. They're always here. They never miss. Oh, they came back the next Wednesday night and the next then miss one, then back two, then miss one, then back three. About where you are now. Now I want to make something clear. <clears throat> From this corner over here to this corner over here and all the way up here and all this fire. If you are a member of a New Testament church, every time the hinges squeak, you're supposed to be inside those walls. 
The deacons in First Baptist Church of Hammond that aren't faithful to all the services are not right with God. You have no right to hold one of God's offices and lay out a church. If I'll resign the deacon board, how about resigning your backslidden condition first? Get the church. That goes for every Christian in this room. It's your duty. One Sunday night, I looked over and couldn't see Bob and Mrs. Tate. Jim, you see the Tate? No, preacher, I don't think they're here. Oh, they're back the next Sunday night. And the next, then gone one, then back three, then gone one, then back two, then gone one, then back one, then gone one, then back two. Not like you are. Not like you are. And then one Sunday morning they were gone for a weekend trip. I hate weekend trips with passion. I don't believe in them. I think if you're going to go see your grandmother, you ought to go on Monday and Tuesday and get off work. Some of you Christian school teachers. Stay out of church on Sunday so you have enough strength to teach your class on Monday. What you need to do is hit the morning's bench on Sunday. Never has been a schoolroom as important as a church room. Never has been. But you say, for the house, when I go on a weekend trip, I always go visit another church. Try that where you work. <laughs> if you work out inland steel, take off on a weekend trip. I mean, on Monday and Tuesday. Come back on Wednesday, and your boss says, where you been? I've been on a little trip down over in Ohio. <laughs> well, man, you've got a job here. Well, then hold it now. I visited Youngstown, worked over there while I was over there. You think God's dumber than your boss? And then one day it happened. Bob Tate walked in my office. Had his class record book with him. Said, Pastor, God's led me to resign my class. That he is always alive. Unless God's called you to do something bigger, God's not called you to resign anything. And I said, Bob, you know better than that. Bob, you, you know you're backslidden. Why don't you get back where you used to be? Bob, why don't we kneel here and pray? And you get, Bob, you've been missing on Sunday night and Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. Now, Bob, why don't you get back where you used to be? Bob looked at me with that look. And brother, you can see it. Every preacher here sees it in the audience when it happens. Some of you folks have in your faces right now. Because right in your mind right now, you've got some negative thoughts about this preacher. And brother, it is as obvious as a black man and a white man. You can tell it. Preachers can. He took his record book, came to my desk, tossed it there on the desk and walked out the door 23 years ago. A little over a year ago, I was opening my mail, a square envelope with one, two words, upper left-hand corner, two words, Bob Tate. Bob Tate. Bob Tate. Yeah. Sure. Tall, good-looking guy worked at the telephone company. Hey, that cute little one. Bob 
Hey, I didn't know he knew I was alive. Man, I'm glad to hear from Bob State. Open the envelope. Pull it open. Open the letter to read it. Up in that left-hand corner, it said Bob Tate. Huntsville Penitentiary. Huntsville, Texas. Bob Tate? Dear Brother Hyle, you may not remember me. My name is Bob Tate. I was saved at Miller Road Baptist Church under your ministry. Wife and I taught Sunday school. You may not want to hear from me, for a few months ago, I caught my wife in the back seat of a car in the shopping center across from the high school football field, making love to the high school football coach. In a fit of temper, I got in our, my truck and drove home and got in our closet and got the gun out. And I killed that coach. And I murdered my wife. I'm serving, I guess, a life sentence in the Huntsville Penitentiary. I couldn't believe it. Could that handsome man murder that cute little wife? Oh. P.S. It all started the day I resigned my Sunday school class. What he could have said was this. It all started when it was no longer fun to teach it. On this side of this building over tonight, there are hundreds of people that one of these days are going to be in serious trouble. Because you already are at that place where you only do it if it's fun. And there are people before me right here and folks up in this great crowd up here. If you don't transfer your motivation for serving God from inspiration to obligation and duty, as sure as I'm standing behind this pulpit, you're going to be a casualty on the battlefield against the devil. Duty. 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 I'll guarantee you. If I were you, if this sermon's being taped, I'd get this sermon, and I'd play it every Saturday or every Monday. And I'd play it and play it, and I'd say, I am going to stay in there. If this Bible's no longer fun, I'll read it. If soul one is no longer fun, I'll do it. If my Sunday school class is no longer fun, I'll teach it. If my bus route's no longer fun, I'll read it. It's my duty. 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 Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website 
PreachTheBible.org.